This podcast is brought to you by Texture.com. Check it out. You can get any magazine you want digitally, offline, or online. Basically, people call it the Netflix of magazines. You can download it to any device. And good magazines, too, not just some random ones. You can get Entertainment Weekly, ESPN, Sports Illustrated, Traveler, uh, Shape, Bon Appetit if you like to cook, Vanity Fair. Check it out in our show notes. Again, texture.com. That helps us out keeping this podcast free for everyone. And their offer right now is you can read all summer long. Well, I know summer's halfway over by now, but three months for just $10 long. Just check our show notes and uh, give texture.com a try. Now on to the show. What you want? We've got a mouth of hard to listen, but it makes your rage glisten. Our voice is about the games. And you know we talk about the latest goings, more so than any other, and our mountain west matters. Well, will you? You listen to this podcast too. And you, you rant about this podcast too. Just a side where Jeremy analyzes some matches and kiss between the bridges. We do some good interviews. And you know from Fresno all the way to Boise, from Logan down to Aston, they're calling out our name. Where will you? You listen to this podcast too. All right, folks, welcome back to the latest Mountain West Wire podcast, talking uh, college football, Mountain West. Obviously, if you get the name Mountain West Wire, it all comes together. Jeremy Moss with Matt Kennerly. Myself with that awkward intro, but here we go, Fresno State Bulldogs this week. It was, it was bound to happen sooner or later. I think every other show is an awkward introduction on my part, but it's okay. After doing, I've actually looked at how many shows I've been part of. This is like show number 440, I think. It's not bad. That's quite a bit with uh, you, Chris, before, and then Jacob way before that where I did it on my cell phone, where it probably sounds very terrible. <laughs> well, thank you to all of our listeners for putting up with us for that long. And maybe new listeners at College Football News, if you've stumbled across us on the front page at CFN, thank you. CollegeFootballNews.com backslash MWCWire. There may be a new URL by the time you hear this, but that's where you can find our stuff. And... We're continuing our previews. Uh, Blog Talk Radio is where our podcast is at. We're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. Apparently, I thought we were not on Google Play, but we sort of are on Google Play. So check that out, too, if you use that podcast um, of choice. But on to the Bulldogs. Fresno State has a new head coach. Should we just jump in and talk about Jeff Tedford and how you're not fan number one? Yeah, I guess it's fair to say that I am skeptic number one, which places me in a very distinct minority, I think. Hey, you and me, man, we're there. Yeah. 
But I mean, and I mean, it's kind of interesting because, you know, one of our, you know, one of our contributors, Josh Webb, who is going to be contributing on our site this fall for Fresno State coverage, he was the one who had this news back in like October of 2015 or something like that. You know, he basically told me at some point, it's like, look, you know, this is going to happen as soon as there's an opportunity to make it happen. And yeah, you know, obviously true. it didn't seem right on its face, but basically that's exactly what happened. Last year, the Bulldogs were not good, you know, on both sides of the ball. They went one and seven. Tim DeRuiter got fired. Eric Kiesel took over for the last four games. But, you know, before you knew it, you know, Jeff Tedford was being announced as the new head coach in November. And they gave him a ton of money. He's now the highest paid oh, coach in the Mountain West. And when you consider the performance bonuses he's going to be getting for, you know, for academic stuff, for getting to bowl games at some point, basically they gave him a contract that, you know, the message is get to a New Year's Day bowl. Obviously, it's not going to happen this year. You know, we'll start talking about the positions in a second. But most of the reason that I am skeptical is because I don't think it's ever going to happen as long as Tedford is the head coach. Sure, I remember I made a video of the bonuses because it's kind of like it's if you look at through like his contract itself is high. It's more than Brian Harston or right isn't it just right in that same neighborhood, the base, I think. The base is a little higher than both Harson and Mike Bobo. But not by much. It's But I made a video I'm pulling up right now to get the exact incentives here, so my video's scrolling through. Kind of jokingly comparing Tedford to Nick Saban. Clearly, Nick Saban make, makes a lot more money mm-hmm. because, you know, SEC money and all that fun stuff. But when you look at the bonus structure, um, it's, my, my video is loading here. I should have had it up, but come on, video. He gets paid approximately, not approximately, but here's the big ones here. If he goes to a division title game, so if he wins the division, $125,000 bonus. Mm-hmm. Wins a conference title, quarter million dollars. Coach of the year, fifty thousand dollars. And wasn't it a hundred thousand for just making a bowl game, any bowl so, game? Yes. And wasn't it another hundred thousand for winning the bowl game? I think, or maybe fifty thousand. Uh, it was something like that. Like they're giving them bonuses for basically anything you can imagine, even getting to like six wins. I think is yeah. A bonus. The bowl. I know a bowl game was one hundred thousand dollars, regardless. It's the New Mexico Bowl or the Fiesta Bowl. Mm-hmm. And. I don't think we're dumb to know where this money's coming from. It's from all the, not older fans, but I would say fan base over, what, 50 years old and older, 50 and up, are footing yeah, the bill for this. They call them the gray wave around here. <laughs> oh, man, the gray wave. And it, they're the one, okay, here, they're the ones you're paying for. It's not the school. We know that. Even though I put up an article a while ago, you're, you're obviously there in Fresno State, you went to the university there. Aren't the academic fee or the fees for students toward ath- athletics like ast- astronomical? Like, uh, wasn't it like their thirty percent of the athletic funds comes from student fees or something like that? Without having that tab open in front of me, and for those of you who want to go look it up, USA Today is a really good you know resource for that. It, I I know it was I don't think it was exactly the highest in the Mountain West, but it was a pretty substantial number. It was like at least fifteen or twenty percent. I remember looking. I did some article on it when they made the hire, and I forget it's something pretty high. But the bonus money, it's like I we don't need to rehash a ton of this. You can hear other shows or read what you wrote, or where basically you got kicked out of covering Fresno State because of saying is the worst hire ever. 
And if you have you have you heard um not to go off too much off topic, but um like you said, we have a uh, Josh with us. Did you hear his podcast with him and Kevin McGuire last week? I did not. They touched on a bunch of topics, but part of it was just for the Fresno thing where Fresno B apparently gets uh, maybe they still do, maybe they don't. Wink, wink, nod, nod. Extra thirty minutes after practice to talk to the coaches. In that exchange, is exactly don't, right. <laughs> don't say anything right. negative about it, and if you do, you get screwed. And you said something negative, I mean, and they didn't appreciate that. I mean, it could be different now that Tedford is the head coach. My only experience with that was last fall, where I would go to fall camp, and I'd basically only have about forty-five minutes of, you know, an hour and a half or two-hour practice to see what I could see, and then. You know, the coaches and stuff would come and talk to the B, where it would be basically privileged information, which, you know, for me, as an outsider, I'm not totally concerned with that. But, you know, there is, you know, the possibility of an image of some kind of like, you know, insiderdom that may not sit well, well with some. I don't it's know. also, hey, we give you this information, don't report the bad stuff. That's basically what I can get from it. Like, well, we're, we're going to take this away if you don't report on something that's, uh, puts a bad light on the university or says something negative. It's always, I get, if you're the hometown paper, you're typically not going to be negative for most part. You want to try to find positive stuff, but there's going to be criticism. And if you're giving them that extra time after practice to whatever, watch practice more or meet individual with coaches where you get your own info where it's, I know there's not a huge, a ton of media that go to Fresno practice anyways, but like where I'm at, like I did stuff for BYU. There's multiple radio stations, multiple newspapers. If one of the columnists got an extra 20 minutes, everybody else would be pissed. And I know guys who get upset where it's boring to go to media practice or even media day because you get the same quotes, you get nothing exclusive. But this isn't saying, hey, let me chat with you 20 minutes on a Tuesday at 9 a.m. This is after practice. You can hang out and get that stuff. And I don't want to dive too much into that because we want to talk about Fresno State, but the money back to Tetford comes from people who think he was this amazing head coach at Cal where he did good things but I will say this and I've said it a million times his greatest achievement ever is getting Kyle Bowler a first round draft pick yeah I mean I'll I'll just preface everything you said by saying that I'm sure that there are some of our listeners who appreciate that I can be biased against my own team sometimes of course and that's good too like back to that super quick it's like just because we're more fans of teams doesn't I think sometimes we're more critical than people who cover because there's stuff not to say extra access to be you'll get, but if you're super negative, guys won't talk to you. Or you see what Marshawn Lynch has done or certain people. I'm not talking to you because what you said, you don't want to be too critical or too negative on stuff, but we can be more honest and say certain things that they won't say. And people appreciate that. But what you said about Kyle Buller, you know, I think can kind of lead into our discussions of, you know, the different units on the offense, especially because one of the arguments that you know lots of people made in favor of Ted Retire is the fact that he's a quote-unquote quarterback guru. And I wrote about this at length back in back in October, so I'm not going to rehash all the details. But there are a couple of things that I do want to remind people of. One of the big things, you know, we talk a lot about quarterbacks in the Mountain West, and you know, can they get to 60% completion rates? You know, we talked about it with Josh Allen. We talked about it more recently with Lamar Jordan and stuff like that. But when you look at the last seven years of Tedford's reign at Cal from, you know, 2005 to 2012, he only topped, his quarterbacks only topped 60% one time. 
And in this day and age where you need a quarterback who could be accurate to be successful, unless you have a physical freak like Josh Allen or something like that, you know, getting to that kind of benchmark is really critical. And so when you look at that kind of track record, yeah, you know, everybody likes to harp on Aaron Rodgers, but Aaron Rodgers was a quarterback at Cal 13 years ago now. You know, the more recent track record suggests that you know, he was more the exception than the rule. But, you know, on the contrary, what you can say is that he did have a much better track record of, you know, recruiting and developing running backs, which I think is very promising for a team that, you know, even despite losing a couple of guys, is still pretty deep at that position. And, you know, I think it's worth noting, too, that given the limited window he had to recruit this offseason, he did pretty well for himself. I think according to 24-7 Sports, Fresno State ended up fourth with the class of 2017 in the Mountain West. But, you know, everybody likes to focus on the quarterback. And, you know, at least for me personally... I find myself somewhat conflicted because while I have a lot of skepticism about Tedford's track record with quarterbacks, I am also on the record as saying that I am a believer in Chase and Virgil. And so at some point, I think something's got to give. Hey, you, you are. And then there's been talk like, like Josh, you said, like I saw you guys interact on Twitter a bit. He doesn't, maybe you, you probably remember the conversation more than I do. But he's not entirely sure Chase and Virgil will be the starter this fall. I think he will be, um, because I did get a chance to see him during a couple of the scrimmages during the spring. And while the guy he's competing with, Jorge Reyna, you know, obviously when you're recruiting three-star guys who are JUCO transfers, you're expecting them to at least push for a starting job. And you could see that Reyna maybe has a little bit more arm strength, but, you know, Virgil looked like he was acclimating to the new offense pretty well. You know, they had him under center a little more often. You know, he was a little more accurate with his passes. And I think it helps that he has rapport with the guys that he's throwing to more so than Reyna. You know, I think that... And also he's a bit more athletic as well. He could move a little bit too. Yeah, and I think that that's really useful too because when you consider what he did you know, after adjusting for sacks, of which there was a lot last year. You know, he averaged over five yards a carry, which is pretty good, all things considered. Like, he's, he wasn't in the same class as a Josh Allen or a Lamar Jordan or anything like that. But he could make plays with his feet. And I think that that's something he could add to this offense. That's something that they can build around. The question, which is more or less the same as it was last year is how much is he going to be able to improve as a passer because you know in context which you know I've, I've mentioned this before too is you know retro freshman on bad teams if you look at his numbers in that context where he had 13 touchdowns against 10 interceptions and his completion rate was like 50 you know 51.6 it's fine you know what I mean the big question is, you know, now that he has a full year of experience under his belt, kind of a trial by fire, you know, how much better is he going to be with all of this returning talent around him? And I think that that's the big question. Well, you have like their offensive line coming back. They have possibly some of the best receiving groups in the country, not in the country, but in the conference as well, like Keyshawn Johnson. They have experience, they've experience coming back on offense. And so 
There's positive. Like I was, I doing some research. I didn't realize they're bringing back four or five starters on the offensive line. Um, top running back, obviously, Dontel James, who put only 700 yards or a hair under. They only ran 3.3 yards per carry, which is abysmal. But they have a lot of experience back. And that's where, yeah, it could be bad experience. They won one game last year, but it still helps. And I guess they sort of got a jump start with Tedford coming in November. And that, that, can, that extra two months or whatever he's doing around the program when he got hired but not being the coach because Keystown was still the guy, which kind of sucks for him having to – live that the last month or so of the season. That's a big deal to get things going how he wants, and they have more experience, I thought, and that's going to be an area specifically. Like you said the offensive line wasn't great. They bring back a lot of starter, starting talent, I should say, career starts, and maybe that's just an extra little bit of time playing the system, being more experienced with each other, having returning guys back like James and receiver Keyshawn Johnson, Jordan. They do lose Aaron Peck, but they returned to Mari Scott, who missed last year. Can I be frank for a moment? What, be frank, yes. That offensive line last year sucked. What, okay, what offensive line would you rather have, San Jose State or Fresno State from last year? I mean, honestly, it's all kind of relative because, you know, we talked about San Jose State and their struggles defending against the pass rush. Fresno State's big problem last year was that they were the worst run-blocking unit in the country. And that's by a lot of traditional measures and also by, you know, more advanced measures that you might find at football study hall. So to me, the you know, the bigger question besides Virgil is, you know, Tedford had usually had decent, good offensive lines. But how much better are these same guys going to be in a new system in year one? Like, that's kind of the big question because I was not necessarily fond of this unit going into last year. And like you said, they have four of the five guys coming back, but is that necessarily a good thing? Like, there were a lot of weeks where, you know, for instance, Christian Kronk looked like he was, you know, overmatched a lot of times. And whether that was more a function of what the offense was being asked to do, like a lot of, you know, inefficient cut blocks or things like that, or whether it was some kind of, like, serious talent deficit is kind of a murky situation to wade into... But I'm a little bit skeptical that they're going to be that much better. Like, if they can improve from abysmal to below average, you know, is that enough to make the offense functional? And is that going to be enough to help Virgil take that step forward that I think he can take? Because if they can't, like, if they, you know, if they improve in the running game, but they take a step backwards in pass protection, we know Virgil already has, you know, and a history of injuries. Obviously, when he broke his clavicle uh, two years ago, that was more of a fluke injury. But apparently he injured himself against Nebraska in the opener last year, and he was never fully 100% in, you know, until he got shut down in November. And at that point, the offense was basically dead. Like, there's a reason they didn't have any touchdown passes in the last three games of the season. So that's going to be... I think the biggest question this offense is going to face is if they have these same four guys back plus a new guy, Natani Muti, how much better are they going to be? Because they have to be better to make this offense work. Well, they do. Like, looking at the running attack, like, I know this includes sack yardage with being college and all, but they were worse in the conference. In the, in the yards per carry, was a 3.13 I have right here. Sacks, yeah, 3.17. 
sacks allowed were still Miles had a San Jose State who had fifty. The Fresno was right on right that thirty range. So part of it's Virgil's athletic ability to move out a bit, but they have to like worst baseline, you gotta get above four yards per carry running the ball, at least. Yeah. And that even that, that still would be a ten out of twelve eleven out of twelve in the conference. That would be just above San Jose State, three point eight nine. That's everybody else is like Nevada's four one, Wyoming four five. And Wyoming, who had Brian Hill, that's ninth in the conference in yards per play on running on the ground. So they need to get above four point oh yards on the ground, get Chase and Virgil to what what do you want to get him? Six like our key our number is sixty percent compassing percentage. Well, even if as a sophomore he can improve to like, you know, 55, 56%, that in itself could make a huge difference. As long as he runs well, I think that could be fine too. Like, do what Lamar Jordan did. Get him to, what, what did we talk about last year? He's at 53 last year. Get him to above 55. So, yeah, that would be four percentage points higher for Virgil. And then running the ball, say he still gets maybe 300 to 500 yards. That makes up for being just a, a slightly above average thrower. But again, you're right. The offensive line, yeah, while they have all the starts back, it's not a good starting experience. But let's get to the good part of the offense, the receiving group. Keyshawn Johnson is had 66 catches last year. Can he be a thousand yard receiver? He probably needs. He probably needs to have a better than a 59 percent catch rate. But I mean, I get think, to a 80, 80 receptions, maybe. I mean, I think all things considered, you know, when you when you consider that he improved his catch rate from his freshman year to his sophomore year, he's you know, he's obviously the number one receiver in this offense. And I think that, you know, 59.5% is probably fine considering how largely inaccurate the quarterbacks were last year. To me, it'll be more interesting to see how Jameer Jordan's role in the offense shifts a little bit because it's not going to be quite as, you know, wide open, spread it out, you know, throw a screen and make things happen. Obviously, though, he's the big play guy in this offense because he averaged, you know, well over 15 yards a catch. And it'll be interesting to see whether he can maintain that or what kind of routes they have him run in order to find those big plays again. Because as pretty, you know, as or rather as ugly as the offense was last year, one thing you could say about it is they were able to spring you know, pretty big passing plays every so often. Like they ended up, I think, you know, right in the middle of the pack in 30 and 40 yard pass plays. So it'll be interesting to see how they replicate that when they're not just throwing screens and, you know, implementing a more pro style, more balanced kind of offense. So what do you, what do you expect to see for the offense to be successful? Obviously we've talked a bunch about the offensive line needing to be better with the experience back do you expect the running game to be that much improved? Like, how would you see whoever runs the ball? We assume it's the returning guys they have last year, including Virgil and everybody else running the ball. What would you like? What would say? Okay, I'm I'm not excited, but this will make uh, for an adequate offense next year. Like with Dontel James running the ball or those good receivers they have returning. I mean, it's kind of like you said. Like, if they want to be balanced, and I think they do, they're not going to be necessarily a pass first team anymore they're going to have to be able to run the ball better. And, you know, as as much attention as the receivers are likely to get, not only, you know, Johnson and Jordan, but they're also getting a guy like Demarius Scott coming back. I kind of like the 
talent that they have coming back at running back. You know, like I think Dontell James kind of got a bad beat last year just because, you know, the offensive line in front of him was so bad. He could never really find any holes. But even beyond that, you know, Josh Hokett is a big, tough runner who, you know, made the transition from linebacker to running back. And he had a, you know, a game or two where he was pretty good. You know, he could be a pretty efficient short yardage back if they give him the opportunity to do so. And then even beyond him, you know, they have guys like Deontay O'Neill, who's kind of a spark plug kind of guy. He, I think, had, you know, some playmaking ability, not only as a runner, but as a receiver and as a kick returner, which, you know, him coming back from a year-end injury will help. And, I mean, the list really kind of goes on. You know, they have Deontay Perry, who could make a difference. They have, you know, Trayvon Breen coming back. They've got like six different guys plus freshmen like Ronnie Rivers who could potentially play their way into some kind of role. But like you said, they're going to have to do better than four yards a carry to really make this offense functional. That's a bare minimum, essentially. Yeah. Because four yards per carry, like I said, would still put them at 11th in the uh, conference. Like, no, it put them 12. Well, it put them above San Jose State, who was 11th. Yeah. And it's still a half yard away from Hawaii. And. Maybe they could do it. Maybe they can't. It's well. There's, there's what else is there to say? While there, while there is talent or well, experience. Oh, those are two separate words. Talent, talent, and experience. I think it's going to come down to Chase and Virgil maybe making plays and getting the ball to receivers because we know the offensive line wasn't great last year. Maybe it'll be better. It should be better. But even if it's marginally better, it's still not a good line. That means Virgil at the roll to the pocket. Maybe Tedford will have to do more play action do more move in the pocket like uh, Wyoming does with Josh Allen or even Brett Rippin a little bit at Boise to extend the play a little bit. Because if you give these receivers time, this is one of the better groups in conference. UNLV has a good group. CSU, even after Michael Gallup, has a good group as well. Receivers, Boise, Cedric Wilson, maybe others. But most a lot of the good teams in the conference have at least one guy. But I think Fresno has multiple receivers that can be good. They... I know I was skeptical last year saying, like, I remember I was kind of joking about Aaron Taylor on CBS saying they have the best receiving group in the conference, but results weren't there, so it's hard to kind of go along with that. I think they have the depth and top-end depth to, if Virgil can get things going, I think they'll be, I know they want to be balanced, but I think the passing game has a better chance to outshine the running game. And I think one thing maybe we haven't talked about enough is the fact that you know, they have an offensive coordinator now in Kalen DeBoer, who, I mean, quite honestly, he kind of worked a miracle at Eastern Michigan because they were one of the worst teams in the country for decades. And when he came in, they, they didn't really have a baseline of talent to speak of. And he built them into an above average offense nationally. And that's, you know, if he's as good as advertising, you know, maybe it doesn't all come together this year. I'm I'm expecting the offense to be better just by virtue of having a little bit better coaching. Because when you look at what happened to this offense last year, you know, some of it wasn't, you know, a lot of it was scheme, but some of it was also like incredibly dumb play calling. And I'm thinking most specifically about you know, the goal line stand that Nevada had last year in their win against Fresno State. And, you know, Hawaii's comeback win when, you know, they were throwing when they really didn't need to, when they really just needed to burn a clock. I'm expecting that those kinds of things aren't going to happen 
with DeBoer as a coordinator. And that in itself should make this offense a little bit better. Like to me, the question isn't if they're going to be better. It's more of a question of how much. And like you said, like we've been saying, with the talent that they have coming back, I kind of like their chances to be, you know, you know, not necessarily a lot better, but like reasonably better, if that makes sense. True, because can they really get that much worse? That's true. Think about it. I mean, they only not, they only not to be rude, but it, it's hard to be game last year. If they can get up to like twenty five points a game, you know, if they can average a touchdown more per game, I would consider that a big win, considering where this program has been in the last couple of years. All right, let's switch to defense now. So for defensively, well, we saw the Tulsa Tulsa game where they blew that big lead and. We know Tulsa can move the ball. We talked about them in the New Mexico game. They have that offense with Philip Montgomery going. But the defense is actually, because looking at the offensive ranking on certain statistics, offense was just dreadful. Like uh, first down, second, third down, S&P plus. They're last of the country. Offensive rank overall. Defense was okay. They're about average, it looks like, overall. Uh, Three-quarter spot, like top 83rd ranked defensive team. So still much better than 123 offensively overall. So the, I think the defense might have a few more spots where they could be better than the offense because they returned a lot on the line, most of the linebacker group. The biggest loss is guys like Taekwon Glass in the secondary where they lose three of their top four guys. I, I'm, I'm kind of a two minds about this defense because, you know, last year, especially in the second half, they kind of got a bad beat. You know, if you break it down by the numbers, in the first half of the year, they were giving up about six and a half yards per play. And in the second half of the year, they were giving up only five and a half yards per play, which is a pretty good step, you know, considering the offense was basically dead by then. But at the same time, they're losing key pieces at just about every position. You know, they're losing Jeff Camilli, who was the team's leading tackler, and they're losing three guys in the secondary. So while I think it's interesting that, you know, they also have another intriguing coordinator on this side of the ball, too, that they brought in from Canada, Orlando Steinauer, you know, to me, there are more questions on this side of the ball than there are on the offensive side of the ball. You think so? I think so. Because, you know, for one, they're switching from a 3-4 to a 4-3, which, you know, considering that they the pass rush was almost non-existent in the last couple of years is probably the best move. But, you know, who's going to rush the passer? You know, they have all these guys coming back, like, you know, Nathan Madsen, Malik Forrester, and Patrick Bellany, and that's fine. You know, we know that they can stop the run every so often, but are they going to have a guy who can be disruptive coming off the edge? Is it going to be a guy like Tabena Okeke, who's, you know, possibly switching to defensive end? Or is it going to be a guy like Justin Green, who I've always kind of liked, who's, you know, he's performed okay in spot duty. Or is it going to be one of those outside linebackers? You know, is a guy like James Bailey built to be a pass rusher like that? Um, to me, I think that's kind of the big question because, you know, I've, we've talked about it, you know, week in and week out in most of these podcasts, but there's going to be more of a focus on defending the pass with most of these teams are going to be facing this year. Let me ask you this. Do you take any stock in the uh, defense winning the spring game or allegedly winning the spring game? 
I mean, that's hard to say because you know what? I'm just going to say no, not really. Good, because spring football is usually dumb <laughs> for the most part in, in scrimmages. <laughs> Sorry, it's football, but Jason Virgil threw five touchdowns in one spring practice or scrimmage. Next one, defensive line had a big push and all the rave because they knocked the offensive line on their butt. Mm-hmm. It's you're playing the same team week after week, day after day. It's a good, I'm not, I'm not saying it's a bad thing that they say defensive one, but defense usually should be better than the offense for, during spring football, especially with a new system in place. And I guess to me, I don't know, I just looking through stuff from the Fresno, Fresno B put out there. And yeah, it's, it's, I guess it's um with the offense playing well sometimes and the defense playing better in the spring game. That's great. The new DC, like you mentioned, uh, who came, came into town, he has no technically or officially no first or second string yet, but we kind of know who some of those guys might be. So I was just kind of curious what your thought about that. Do you care too much about that? And most people, you should. Correct answer, Matt. You got it right. So you get four points. I mean, I think that one thing I would expect of this defense is that they should be better defending against the run. And you started to see that a little bit at the end of last year simply by virtue of the fact that they have so many guys who have been contributors coming back. Like, I think the linebackers on this team will probably be a definitive strength because Bailey, while he's, you know, he's probably not going to be known for any kind of pass rushing prowess. You know, this is a guy who defended a few passes and, you know, had five tackles for loss. So he's, you know, he's, he's a guy who can do a little bit of everything. Like I saw him defending wide receivers as an, kind of a nickelback last year. And I do like the inside linebackers, Robert Stanley and Nella Otukolo. You know, I think that Otukolo especially is a guy who, now that he's stepping into a full-time starting role, you know, this is a guy who came in with three-star pedigree, and I think he's got a pretty good chance of living up to that. He's a big dude who can hit really hard. I've seen him do it multiple times. For me, the biggest questions are in the secondary because it wasn't great last year and they've only got one guy coming back. And while I like the young guys that they have replacing them, I feel like this year especially is going to be really rough on them. Sorry, say that one more time. You kind of broke up there. I was going to say, I I like the young guys that they're replacing them with. I think Juju Hughes has shown in spring and in last fall's camp that, you know, he can be a turnover machine if he has enough game time experience. And I do like Mike Bell as a rangy safety. But this year, there's probably going to be, you know, a lot of lapses. There might be a few more big plays than a lot of people anticipate because they're going to be facing so many good quarterbacks this year. See, to me, the biggest questions are going to be in the secondary because I like the young guys that are going to be stepping in to the defensive backfield. Like, I like Mike Bell as, you know, a very highly touted recruit who's a big, rangy safety. And Juju Hughes has shown in the past that he can be a, you know, a ball hawk if he has enough game time experience. But I'm kind of expecting that there's going to be a lot of growing pains with the secondary. You know, I'm expecting that there will probably be a few more big pass plays than we saw last year because, you know, amazingly enough, if you look at the uh, you know opponent's long passing plays last year, Fresno State was number one in the Mountain West in 10-yard pass plays allowed. 
and they were number two in 20-yard pass plays. And while some of that, I think, was a symptom of the fact that the teams didn't really bother to pass when they could run the ball against this defense so easily, I kind of expect that number to go up. And if they're in the middle of the pack rather than at the top, that, I think, is you know one of those things where, yeah, this is just a learning experience for the secondary. Let me ask you this real quick, because you mentioned you up a key point, how they played from October to November in running the ball. Mm-hmm. So in October, they were dead last in the conference, giving up 280 yards on the ground, like five, just about five yards per carry. Mm-hmm. And those teams, they were playing UNLV, Nevada, San Diego State, Utah State, and Air Force. Air Force skews that, but those weren't really, I guess, Aztecs as well, but like Nevada... Well, maybe that's never mind. My points lost because they played three good running teams. But, however, I'll say this point. November on, they did play CSU as a good running attack and Hawaii's reasonably as well. They shot up from last to second, or third, excuse me, the 4.3 yards per carry. Do you think, like you said before, do you have confidence that'll keep going? Or was it just because they were playing not those quality running teams? Like I said, with Donald Pumphrey... Uh, James Butler and uh, whoever Air Force is running with that week. What do you think it's more of who they played or did they actually get better? Well, if you recall, the Air Force game was the game where Romine got hurt and Arian Worthman came in and basically torched them in the second half. Um, and then I was at that Colorado State game and they basically got massacred on all phases of the game. Um, I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I think they'll be able to hold on to most of those gains. But I think that whatever they hold on to, they're probably going to lose when it comes to their pass defense because, you know, last year it wasn't really pretty. Like, they only had five interceptions as a team last year. And while they were, you know, better than average, I think, in yards per attempt and, you know, right around the league average in, you know, opponent's quarterback uh, completion rate, I'm kind of expecting them to take a step back just because of all those guys they have coming in in the secondary. You know, for me, the biggest question is, you know, who's going to play cornerback? Because I expect Hughes to probably lock down one spot. But, you know, Anthula Kelly is one of the, you know, kind of a big mystery. He came in with a lot of hype, you know, as part of the uh, Texas recruiting classes that DeRuiter had coming in. But he's been kind of a disappointment. Like, he hasn't been able to break through into the lineup, and he got burned a couple times last year. One guy I'm interested in seeing how he performs is Jaron Bryant, because he started getting a little more action near the end of last year, and I think he played pretty well. And I saw him in the spring, as, um, and I think, you know, it's going to be between him and Kelly for that second cornerback spot. And I'm really interested in seeing how that race breaks down, especially you know if Virgil in camp continues to make strides. All right. So, any last any special teams thoughts for you to move on? Because let's kind of get to the schedule here. Unless you have any other defensive tactics, I want to say or yeah, I think we're game? pretty much. I think we're pretty much good. good. Uh, okay. All right. Let's uh, take a quick timeout. However. If you are a Patreon, no ad here. We'll go straight to the schedule. So that's one little extra perk we're doing. And I'm assuming the RSS audio feed works fine. So if it doesn't, because it's your own personal one, let us know. Twitter, Jeremy Moss. We'll see what we can do there. So 
Let's get to the schedule and we'll start talking games. All right, Fresno State schedule opens up with. Um, do you know where Incarnate Ward Cardinals play their football games? Uh, I wrote about them. Uh, and if you haven't checked out our early team previews on our Patreon page, you really should. But that was so long ago that I don't remember exactly where. San Antonio, Texas. I knew that. <laughs> did you know Ricky Williams was a coach there at some point as a, I think, a position coach for a while? I did not know that. Uh, factoid of the day. Ricky Williams stepped on stepped on campus there. Uh, all right, so they're going to win that game. Wait, wait, are they going to win that game? I mean, they will. <laughs> the hope is that they don't sleepwalk through that game in the same way that they kind of sleepwalked through the last year's FCS game against Sacramento State. You know, if you're a Fresno State fan and this is the home opener and this is the you know beginning of a brand new shining era, you know, this is a team where you need to put your foot over their throat like almost immediately. Is that new scoreboard up and going yet? Is that going to be this fall? Uh, no, that was last fall. Oh, sorry. I was going to make a joke. Hey, go, at least go check out the scoreboard. I just know they've done some renovations. I thought I didn't know they were done with it already. So that's going to be a victory. So then um, let's get to the actual schedule here. Week two and week three. Um, I don't think any team in the country plays back-to-back playoff teams from last year. I'm going out on the limb and not looking at any schedule, but I'm pretty sure nobody plays these two teams in a row or any of the four playoff teams. If I'm not mistaken, the last time that happened was a few years ago because I asked this question on Twitter a few months ago and someone said that it was Arkansas, I think, that played both. I forget who they played. There's someone in the SEC. Like, it's very rare for a team like Fresno State to schedule games like this in the non-conference schedule. Exactly. And and to play these back-to-back is pretty rare because – no conference has had, I believe, didn't, SEC didn't get two teams last year. No conference has yet. I don't think. But it's typically be a non-conference and a conference game. But they go to Alabama. Um, is this part of a game to kind of um, when Eric Kiesel, or was this made before that to kind of throw him a bone for whatever, for Fresno State? Because they played two years ago as well, didn't they? Uh, no, that was Col- no, that was Colorado State. I apologize. Wrong team. Colorado State plays these teams as well, but... It was actually our own Josh Webb who broke the story about them going to Alabama a couple of years ago. He did. He reminded me of that recently. It was good for him. And it's a it's a huge game. They get a payday, clearly. They get at least a million bucks, I'm assuming. This but, is this is the epitome of a, of, of a body bag game. <laughs> and especially with Fresno State, not... Odds of them making a bowl game pretty slim this year, if that, so... Have we ever, seen, have we ever seen a 0% win probability? I was going to bring that up. I would have to see who else does Alabama play. Let's look at their what's the Colorado State win percentage. You, we should pull that up. Like, I think it was like three or four percent, if I'm not mistaken. Three or four percent. We should. Well, I've never seen a zero percent win win percentage um, against a team. So they're saying there's no chance to win this game. Forty nine point margin of victory probability. If the, let me ask you this: If the line was set at forty nine points, say that's the correct line in Vegas when we're there, would you put money in this game to uh, Fresno cover that forty nine points? Who do you think they will? No one in their right mind would bet Alabama minus forty nine. Have you not met what's the people who call it the, the Fine Bomb Show? Oh, that's true. Yeah, 
What's the what's that lady's name from who calls all the time? I have no idea. There's some lady who calls all the time. I forget her who her name is, but if I see it, I remember it. But she always calls in to talk about Alabama. She complained about Colin Cowherd or something to Paul when he was with ESPN about Crimson Tide Dynasty over or something. Probably after they lost to Mississippi State or something a couple years ago. But what would real realistically in this game? Like I talked with some people before, and I talked to the guys in Hawaii a lot on the radio show. And the Mountain West needs wins against good teams. This is not one of those. But even if Fresno State were to lose, like, somehow it's a 28-24 loss, that's still not going to matter in the grand, grand scheme of things. So what would be, like, a for you, you'd be, okay, we lost, but it's kind of like we played better than I thought. Is it the score margin? Is it not losing the turnover margin? Chase and Virgil keeps his head attached after the game. What would it be? See, to me... This game and the game against Washington are what I hope for is kind of what we saw last year in the opener at Nebraska. Because, you know, it's it's easy to forget with everything that followed, but for about a half, until Chase and Virgil got hurt late in the first half, they were hanging pretty tough and they were moving the ball against a pretty good Cornhuskers defense. And while Alabama's defense is terrifying. Um, you know, I would expect them to at least be able to move the ball a little bit and give themselves some opportunities in the same way that they did early in that game against Nebraska last year. You know, even if they do end up getting blown out by like 35 points, which I'm, I'm kind of expecting Alabama to drop at least 50 on this team. To me, if they can at least show some signs of life early and not play themselves into a three touchdown deficit by the end of the first quarter that is what i would consider a big win but do you think that can happen i think it can yeah i don't think it's likely (laughs) there you go so let's yeah that's all my expectations are as well if they can keep it not get crushed have a couple couple good drives touchdowns perhaps but it's going to be tough to move the ball against this team to try to stop um, Joan Hurts hand the ball off to Najee Harris back there. That'll be quite difficult to stop as well. And also, like you mentioned, Josh did our preview for this game. He wrote extensively, extensively, and I'm meaning that extensively about this game. So we'll retweet that out there. So check that out as well, where, where he discusses this matchup. And it's not all terrible things because we don't want to be negative too all the time, right? Yeah, people might get mad at us. We try to be positive. Next week at Washington, only a 3% chance of victory. Congratulations. So you're saying there's a chance. There, There is a chance in this one. It's up in Seattle. They got Jake Browning back there. Washington. What they did last year, they just smothered teams with the defense. And so can Fresno, like one thing I want to see here, can Fresno get 14 points? Can they get 17 points? Because these two defenses, Alabama and Washington, are – in the same ballpark of each other. I mean, Washington's going to be really tough because even though they're losing you know, John Ross off of their offense from a year ago, like I'm kind of of the opinion that when you, when you consider everything, everybody they have coming back, they could be even better because they have you know two good running backs. You know, they have you know a pair of receivers you know led by Chico McClatcher who could you know. Even if they aren't quite as explosive as Ross was last year, they should be you know, efficient. 
And when you consider that the questions that I have about the secondary are probably going to linger for most of the year, you know, this is the kind of thing where I'm expecting Browning to kind of have a field day. And while I think this offense could score a couple of touchdowns, I'm guessing it's probably going to be like, what did I have for my early? My early prediction was 45 to 20, which sounds about right. Like, I think Fresno State can make some noise, but I'm not expecting them to seriously threaten Washington in this game. I'm there with you as well. I I don't... I think they'll play better versus Alabama the compared to the Alabama game the week prior, but these are just two tough games. And the main thing you want to take out of these games is don't get hurt too much. Like, don't have injuries. And these two games could help Fresno down the road. They get a bye week after the Washington game where they begin league play versus Nevada and then San Jose, New Mexico. It's going to be a huge difference in talent, so hopefully there's some confidence when they go up against Nevada and say, oh, I can. I played against Washington or Alabama's defensive line. I can push around this guy or maybe the other way around. I'm not going to get beat as often or I'm going to be able to hold my own against these guys. Confidence booster, and maybe when they play Nevada, Nevada's defensive line is not very good. They lost James Butler, who went to Iowa. That could be a confidence builder. That's where I'm getting from these two games. We're not going to win, but don't get hurt, Don't get and don't get embarrassed. Those are probably the two biggest things you want out of those two games. And they get the timed bye week, but then they go to Nevada, or excuse me, they host Nevada, September 30th. This is one of their, I got to look, I'm pulling up my win-loss projection really quick, but this is one of those games where it's probably one of their most winnable games. If you look at the win probability from Bill Connolly, it is their most winnable game hosting Nevada. And that's only at 56%. Or sorry, UNLV's 57, but so one of the two most winnable games. Well, we've, we've talked about Nevada in the past, and, you know, for all the questions I have about this, you know, the defense at Fresno State, I have even more questions about Nevada's defense. And, you know, one thing that we didn't really get to account for when we had that preview was the fact that now they don't have James Butler anymore. And at which I think that, you know, Obviously, they're going to be more of a passing team than a running team with the air raid offense they're trying to install. <clears throat> Airwolf. Airwolf. Yes. <laughs> thank you. So, I mean, I'm expecting Nevada to be able to move the ball through the air. But if they're one-dimensional, I think that that can play into Fresno State's hands. Because I feel like with the balance this offense wants to achieve, you know, going up against a defense like Nevada's is going to be a really good matchup. So I'm expecting them to win this game. Let me see. Is that what you is that what you originally picked, or did you go back and change this? No, I had this as a Fresno State win. I'm pulling up mine really quick because I want to be accurate in what I said. I think I I think I went Fresno as well. As I'm loading my page here, but you're right with the new running attack. Not that they would run as much anyways, but it's still going to change their dynamic as a team because they're still going to have to run the ball a little bit. I picked. I did go this as a victory as well. I made this a, a Fresno State victory hosting Nevada. And then the next next game, they go to San Jose State. And like I said, go back and listen to our preview for the Spartans and everything. But this is a game where the running attack has a chance for, for, for Fresno to get going. Because even in the Nevada game, Nevada game, they should run the ball well. Their defensive line wasn't good last year. At San Jose, at San Jose State, it's just up the road. Excuse me, away from Fresno. Their rush defense also hasn't been very good the past couple years. This is where you can see Dontel James have a pretty good 
ground attack, even Chase and Virgil run the ball pretty well. See, I think this is an instance where, you know, San Jose State's strengths and Fresno State's strengths kind of, you know, they match up pretty well with one another. Because while I'm expecting, you know, Chase and Virgil to be able to throw the ball a little bit better, you know, San Jose State very quietly still has one of the better secondaries in the conference. And while it's it's kind of hard to draw too much from last year's matchup because they played half the game in the rain and Zach Klein was basically horrible. Oh, Zach Klein. I mean, you still got, you know, guys left back there like Andre Chaudhry and Maurice McKnight who could very easily make it a pretty long evening for Virgil. So I had this one as a San Jose State win. As do I. I... My confidence level in Fresno, I'm probably, well, my hate towards Jeff Tedford or dislike of the hire of Jeff Tedford might be shadow shading my uh, projection, but I'm going with loss as well. I just think San Jose State's going to get it done because, sorry, I don't have confidence in Fresno State. It's a dumb reason to say why or why not they won't win, but I would, when I go back and listen to our San Jose State preview, I go on their side and I pick the Spartans to get the victory. So Then they get New Mexico. Um, over under 450 yards rushing for New Mexico in this game. Oh man, that's a lot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason I've said a lot. <laughs> See, the better question is over under six yards carry. Okay, over. I yeah, I think that's. I mean, slightly over, but over nonetheless. Well, remember, New Mexico averaged what eight yards a carry last year running the ball. Oh no, sorry, six point six one. Did a couple of guys average over eight yards per carry? Yeah. Net sack yardage included, so it might be higher, or would be higher. Yeah, and I mean, thinking about last year's Air Force game, you know, they once they had Worthman in the game, it was basically over, even though Fresno State was winning at that point. Um, but I'm kind of expect like, a, we've talked about New Mexico recently, and I'm kind of expecting big things from this offense, so... I'm expecting the logos, the Lobos, rather, to win pretty comfortably. I think Fresno can get a lot of points in this game because that, I'm not. If you listen to that show, I'm not a big fan of that Lobos defense that yeah. lost basically everybody. So I think this could be like a forty to thirty victory where Fresno State will have to keep up, but I don't know if they can keep up as quickly as what Lobos can do on the ground. Next week, they go to San Diego State. That's going to be a loss. Um, a loss. The oil can is going to stay in Southern California. That's the trophy, right? Is the It's it just is. called the old oil can, or is it something more specific? I believe it's just the oil can. The oil can. Is this really Fresno State's biggest rival? It's either them or San Jose. Okay. Just, just wondering how that is. Um, any chance they slow down Richard Penny, Richard Penny, Christian Chapman? What would you want to see in this game? Because we're both going to say it's a loss. I guess, you know, if I'm expecting them to be a little better defending the run, then, you know, slowing down the San Diego State running attack more so than they did last year is definitely going to be a big thing to watch out for. Because last year, wasn't this, wasn't it 17 to 3 last year? Wasn't that the final score? They basically choked the life out of this Fresno State team. <laughs> I remember. It's like they slowly stepped on their neck with I the score of the Cowboys. games last year. That one might have been the most depressing game I watched because Fresno yeah. State literally had no chance. Even though it was only two touchdown difference, <laughs> it felt like 30 points. 
Okay, so I got a. I'm checking my phone. I got an alert in our Slack channel. Did you happen to see what was dropped in there just now? I did not. The biggest tease ever. If NCAA Football 18 were here, here's what the EA Sports rankings might look like. <sighs> Let's move on to the next game because that'll get me depressed. We'll talk about. Do that you still later. have the PS3 with NCAA 14 or Sadly. Xbox? Sadly, I don't. I was looking to buy one, but I'm like, I'm not spending 120 bucks on a PS3, and that game's still like $45 because you can't get it anymore because that's the last version. So, If somebody wants to donate to our Patreon page, maybe we'll each get a PS3 and get the game as well. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yes, anyway. They, go to, they host UNLV. This is another winnable game. It's actually, like I mentioned, I made a slight error earlier. This is the most winnable game at 57% when you look at what Bill Connolly put out there. It's at home. And it's only a slight three-point victory projected margin of victory as I sl- brutal- brutalized the English language there. Sorry, folks. <laughs> they're three-point favorites. And UNLV, it's, they're kind of, I would kind of say they're sort of in the same ballpark as Fresno State. Outside oh, I definitely of, agree. Okay, good. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not on my own there. Outside of, let me finish real quick, Tony Sanchez, year three, but... New quarterback, Armani Rogers, running game, mm, has potential, hasn't always been great, but they also have a good receiving core in this game. And so these teams almost mirror each other on offense. They have a much more proven offensive line than Fresno State does. You know, the bigger questions are going to be on the defense, which we'll we'll talk about UNLV eventually. I think next they have a couple of... I, what I feel could be, you know, pretty decent pieces on that defense. Like Mike Hughes Jr. is definitely going to make his presence felt. You know, this is another one of those games where I feel like both of these teams are going to be able to score 30 on each other. And it could be kind of like, you know, whoever has the ball last. But I like I like UNLV's offensive potential a little bit more. So I have this one as a Rebels win. So do I have UNLV winning because... If, if the hype's to be believed about Armani Rodgers, then, yeah. it's. I think it's going to be a close one. It's not going to be a convincing win by either team. And I wouldn't be shocked if Fresno does get a victory with it being at home this late in the year. But again, they played at San Diego State week before and in Mexico, two great running attacks. So maybe they can finally, they'll be able to stop Charles Williams or Lexington Thomas. Yeah. Next week, non-conference, they host BYU, or excuse me, BYU hosting them. I might go to this game. We'll see how... Well, Fresno is doing if I want to attend that matchup, but we've talked about BYU a lot because heck, heck, they play half the conference already, and I guess with your skepticism in the Fresno secondary, this pat at least a quarterback with Tanner Mangum could have a chance for a big game. But as you heard me before, I have zero faith in this BYU um, wide receivers. Okay, so. Maybe it'll change in week 10 or 11, whatever week we're in here, but BYU still can get a victory. But again, as I said before, their running attack isn't great. No, well, at least no returning experience. Receivers aren't good. They have a good line, good quarterback, and their defense is really good. So I think they might just choke this running attack. Maybe do what San Diego State did last year on defense where Fresno can't run the ball very well. Yeah, I'm kind of thinking the same thing. Do you think 14 points is too much or too little for the uh, more projected margin of victory? Uh, I mean, it's probably too much. I'm expecting it to be more like 7 to 10 points. Okay. I, 
I'd probably go slightly under, but I could see where with what BYU can do, like their linebackers, how they can create turnovers a bit, some of their secondary, that might swing it, which is, mm-hmm. you can't really try to predict that. But I still think BYU, even if they win by 10 points, it'll be something where it's 7-3, 14-6, 17-13, and then it's kind of, they're ahead, but they stay ahead the whole game. One of those type of situations. Yeah. Better than the San Diego State game last year, despite still being close. All right, then they go to Hawaii. Uh, you got Drew Brown, blah, 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 juice out there running the ball. Um, was it Dylan Colley's wide receiver? We've talked about Hawaii a lot on the road. Fresno doesn't do good on the road. When's the last road game they have? Do we have that in front of you, Matt, at all, as I sling it on you? I do not. Been a while. Can we just say that? Yeah, probably. <laughs> so what are you expecting out of at going to Hawaii? Because, again, even if Hawaii's not great, which they should be okay, it's hard to win on the road in the islands. I mean, they always have trouble winning on the islands, so I'm really not expecting them to, to do very well. Um, and like you said, I feel like Hawaii's offense is going to be the thing that really drives them this year. So even though there are some questions lingering on the de- defensive side of the ball, which, again, I feel like I'm saying this over and over again, Fresno State's probably going to score some points. But Hawaii's just going to be able to score a few more. So I have this one as kind of like a 31-21 kind of thing. Before you make that prediction, do you, would you like to know their last road victory? I would love to know their last road victory. November 14th, 2015, at Hawaii. Oh, okay. 42-14 to 14 victory at Hawaii. I totally forgot about that. Just saying. That's a, I was looking through, I'm like, wait. Did you say 2014? Yeah. Oh, no, sorry, 2015. I apologize. 2015. I was going to say. Sorry, I, I went back a couple years. I started at 17, thought I was at 16. Yeah, so well, year, oh. that, was, that was a Norm Chow team. That doesn't count. Oh! <laughs> Is that the game that got Norm Chow fired? I don't remember. I don't Probably. remember. I knew it was in season. But that's your last victory, if that makes a difference. Last road victory. And it was against Hawaii. But that was also when Hawaii was pretty terrible. Not that Fresno was great a lot. That year, 3-9, and nine, where they beat UNLV, Abilene Christian, and Hawaii. I'm still going with the Hawaii victory. And as you can see my trend here, I'm only at one victory so far for Fresno. What? How many wins do you have for at this time? Are we talking about in conference? Overall. Overall? Yeah. Uh, well, I have them with two wins. Two wins overall. Do you have them beating Wyoming on the road? Can we just save ourselves some trouble and say that I have them losing to both Wyoming and Boise State? We are going to save the trouble. I have them going 1-11 again. I'm sorry. Why are you apologizing to me? Fresno fans. Oh. That includes you, I guess. I have them going 2-10, 1-7 in conference, and I do not apologize. <laughs> what, was the, what was the win? Was it Nevada? Was that what you said? Nevada. Or was it you? Yeah. Nevada. Or Nevada. No, Nevada. Sorry. We're not doing that again. Nevada. What would be, because let's wrap this up really quick because I have to do something here shortly, so we need to kind of move this along. What would you be, what would make you, if they win one or two games, say it's two, maybe three wins, because UNLV and Nevada are winnable games. Maybe New Mexico, but probably not. What would make you happy as you being a Fresno fan saying, okay, we won two, we got two wins this year, but I see improvement down the road for maybe with Virgil another year, another year with Tedford at the helm this offensive line or other positions, secondary, getting more experience, what would give you optimism heading into 2018? Because we know this, there's not a bowl game coming this year. 
can the offense be better? It's basically what it comes down to because, like we said when we were talking about it earlier, the running game was basically among the worst in the country. You know, Chase and Virgil was, you know, basically injured during his trial by fire. He's going to take a step forward. The question again is how much better will it be? You know, if the offense coalesces, you know, more quickly than I think it will, that's where I think most of the surprise is going to come from. And then the second biggest question is, you know, with all these new pieces in the in the secondary, you know, can they turn that promise that they have into production? Okay. We also have a few questions here really quick to okay. from to answer from Patrick Hoffman on Twitter. You got a big hurt Hoffman. That's a pretty good handle there. Out from Cal- he has two questions here. I'll ask you this. Do you think anybody is going to challenge Virgil for the starting job or is it his going into fall camp? I mean, it is his going into fall camp. It's they're probably not going to name a starter until the end of, you know, the practice sessions. But, you know, I think Reno will be an okay backup, but I'm fully expecting Virgil will be under center when they take on Incarnate Word. And we discussed the interior line depth. He doesn't say offense or defense, but depth, I'd say with the guys returning offensive line, there's depth behind them because they're returning starters, but we still want to see, especially the defensive. I don't know if he's saying defensive line depth. He doesn't specify. With them switching the to the different front, that could cause a little bit of an issue of who they have backing up those guys. I mean, I think that they have more depth on the interior. You know, I think you mm-hmm. between guys like Forrester and Patrick Bellany and Nathan Madsen, you know, that's three guys right there who could be, you know, pretty solid if, you know, the 4-3 works out the way people hope it does. You know, to me, the bigger question is who's going to play the defensive end positions because those guys are going to be primarily responsible for rushing the passer. And as of right now, it's not really clear who's going to hold those spots down. Okay. And also, there's other question about uniform combinations. I am not sure. I have not heard anything if they're going to make a change or even have some sort of alternate. So, Ban the chrome helmets. <laughs> oh, you don't like those. Ban the chrome helmets. Ban the navy blue jerseys with the red sleeves that look like there's something out of a bad dystopian Hollywood movie. And ban the ban the the font on the on the numbers because that's just awful. So you want just more basic uniform? I just want it to go back to kind of like it was. I don't know four years ago <laughs> when they were waiting with Derek Carr. Yeah, exactly. When they had the, the just the block numbers. That's all I'm really asking for, and no Chrome. Okay, that's our wish list, but no word on what's happening. So. And that's not really a new uniform. It's kind of a different uniform, I guess. One last thing. I was, I was perusing the Fresno B, and I wanted to bring this up during the new coaching part of it, but it slipped my mind. So apparently Tim Druder was a cell phone guy during practice. Are you aware of that? Uh, I didn't notice it myself. I don't know. This does come from the Fresno B, so it is criticism. So I, they, they did something when the coach is gone, I guess. Is it criticism it, if the guy is no longer there? I don't know, retelling of a story. Eh. I don't know. But here's kind of a little blurb on there. I just wanted to bring this up because it is sort of interesting. It goes, the head coach doesn't talk on his cell phone during practice. This may be a small thing or it may be emblematic of something larger, but unlike his predecessor, 
They don't mention Tim Druder by name here, but clearly, obviously. I don't think they're meeting Eric Kiesau. <laughs> Tedford did not spend one moment of any spring practice yapping on his cell phone. In fact, Tedford doesn't even have a cell phone with him during practice. I take about to me that may show a little bit of concentration lapse for Druder because it's kind of odd to be talking on your cell phone during practice. Because I've I've seen quite a few practices, whether I go to BYU practice or Utah most prominently. I don't think I've ever seen a coach on the cell phone and never seen a head coach on, on the phone during practice. What was so important to interrupt practice? That's kind of a thought I'm having for Deruder. Ordering pizza when practice is done, obviously. I don't know. And then the photo they use, they throw some more shade at Deruder, but not using his phone. The photo here says Tim Deruder checks his watch as the team continues taking the field at Bulldog Stadium for a 2016 spring practice. Are they trying to send some sort of message there? That's a good question, probably. So we'll see how that goes. I, I just kind of thought that kind of a little amusing to discuss there. So that's our show for today. Check us out. Um, if you are on Patreon and give us a buck or two, this will come out probably a week before everybody else will get it. So that's a pretty cool thing. Maybe I should tweet that because if you hear it now, you're already listening to the show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so maybe I should have said that earlier, but we're going to make them like commercial free. So if you give a buck, awesome, great. If not, cool still listen that still helps us out um collegefootballnews.com backslash mwc wire is our website at the moment facebook all that fun stuff and we have two previews left is that correct i to record we have a few left at this point we, we have a couple left i don't have my sheet in front of me because i haven't marked off we have I closed my win loss total if, if i remember correctly we have air force we have unlv we have hawaii Oh, and why? So we have three left. So yes. be prepared to listen to those in the upcoming weeks. And if you're listening to this show, like I said, we will, we will get these out earlier because we record like yesterday when we're recording this. We already did New Mexico yesterday. Today, Fresno. We'll probably do another team soon. So you might be able to get a bunch of these within a week before we release this to everybody. And isn't so that a dollar? I would think so. Give up the extra the sour cream or guacamole or go go for the skinny latte this week, folks, right? Yes. Don't get the double big gulp at 7-Eleven. Actually, that might be cheaper. So do that instead of getting <laughs> And then give give us the dollar that you don't spend on, a, on an expensive coffee. And don't get lessen your chance of getting diabetes as well, right? Yes. All right, so thanks for listening to our show. Again, uh, Jeremy Moss, my Twitter, MWC Wire, the website Twitter, Matt K underscore FS. And by the time you see this, you'll probably see a Facebook Live of me and you peppering Eli with uh, football questions. That should be that'll, fun, right? That'll be fun. So please watch that video at some point. We'll have it out pretty soon. So go back to our Facebook page to find it, and we'll see you guys next time. And, yes, we're biased to get your team every time.